electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, the daily podcast brought to you by the team behind Squawk Box. NYC, this is CNBC Control 2. CNBC's Essential Morning Show. PCR 2. Every day, get the best stories, debate, and analysis from the biggest names in business and politics. All right, we're coming to it next. Today on Squawk Pod, the CFO of Twitter on how the platform is evolving to help all 321 million monthly users. There's still so much more that we can do to help people find the information they're looking for to make sure that they feel safe being a part of the conversation and trust what they see on Twitter. The Republican case to support Senator Elizabeth Warren for president. I think she understands markets better than any other candidate, perhaps save uh, Michael Bloomberg. And uh, I think she wants those markets to work for everybody. The woman who steered the FDIC through the 2008 financial crisis weighs in on the 2020 presidential hopefuls. And CNBC's Beijing-based reporter on life in China during the coronavirus outbreak. There's a tissue box that has been taped to um, the elevator because they don't want to have people actually touching the uh, buttons. Those stories and more from Bernie Madoff's request from prison and a shout out to the Times Square Starbucks. This show fund. You guys are like 20% of their New York revenue, I think. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. It's Thursday, February 6th. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand under by in three, two, one. Hugh Andrew. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Brian Sullivan, who's hanging out with us today again. Joe and Becky are in Pebble Beach, California at the AT&T Pro-Am. And on set with us this morning for the next hour is Liz Young, Director of Market Strategy at BNY Mellon Investment Management. A lot to talk to her about. Want to start, though, right now with Wall Street's wild ride. The Dow losing more than 600 points on Friday, but has now regained all of those losses and is within striking distance of all-time highs. It's amazing how quickly the market gets over things. And I usually say that as a positive. I don't know that this is quite as positive, and I don't know that it's over yet. Because I feel like we we may have overreacted on Friday. The selling pressure, I think, was a little bit of an overreaction. So some recovery Monday was okay. Now I don't know that I can explain this much of a rally. Well, it's so, gotten worse. I mean, the, the numbers of the coronavirus only continue right, to Right, exactly. And that, that's, that's why it doesn't thing. make sense. It's not as if we've woken up and there's no new cases. Is right. this all Fed-related? And maybe the central bank of China? I think part of it is that it didn't spread into the U.S. as everybody feared. But I still think we're underestimating the effect it's going to have on China. I mean, there's so many people quarantined. There's so many people not at work. There's still the cases are still going up exponentially. To so explain this, why do you think that the markets come? Why do you think that the fear that gripped the market somehow has completely just evaporated? I think, what do you think that's about. I think it's a little bit of animal spirits. I think right. it's a little bit of hopefulness, which is okay. But we we get too scared when we have a little bit of a pullback. I think even Friday, even if it was overdone, it's you shake the apple tree and right. some of the bad apples fall down, and that's okay. But tie it back to our companies, and in and, and no way again. We always have to say this: we're not minimizing the human toll that's going on here. A lot right. of people are sick. A lot of people are scared. People have died. 
But let's tie it to U.S. earnings. Aside yeah. from, say, a yum China, because you don't, you don't get right. back the lost, you don't go out to dinner, that, that's lost. Mm-hmm. If you want a pair of Nike shoes or you want an iPhone, you're going to buy them eventually. So do you think that even if China slows down a percent or two, GDP-wise, that it's going to hit our earnings? I think it will. Certain companies, yes. I mean, Apple closed how many stores in China, right? You can still buy things online, but there's still that in-store experience. Maybe there's consumers that want that in-store experience, then they go home and buy it online. So maybe they delay I, their I spending. Make the, I make the argument we had a guest on uh, this, just this week on this issue. All of the Chinese who used to travel. Yes. We used to travel to the hotel companies who would come to New York, who would then go to the luxury goods stores on yep. Fifth Avenue who aren't buying. You can, I could see the trickle down. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. mean, are, are you, I mean, you can make the argument for the sort of domino theory of what could happen. An update now on the coronavirus outbreak that sparked so much of that fear. The death toll has now surpassed 500 in mainland China as the number of infected approaches the 30,000 mark in Hong Kong taking new steps to combat the spread, imposing a quarantine on those arriving from mainland China. Eunice Yoon joins us now with a look at what it's like to actually live in China during this outbreak. Eunice. Thanks so much, Andrew. You know, with so many people under quarantine or choosing to stay at home because of the outbreak, the delivery man has become an indispensable part of people's lives here. These couriers have been uh, fixtures of life in Chinese cities for several years now. But in this environment, when physical stores are closed, when restaurants are shut, they become the primary way for Chinese consumers to continue to consume and of course, that's uh, help, helpful for the economy these days. Quickly, Eunice, I know you've been providing us with a lot of sort of real world stuff, and I really appreciate it. Pretty much just going between the, the studio and your apartment, occasionally getting out. Just anecdotally, have you seen any more activity on the main streets of Beijing behind you, or is it still pretty much a lockdown type situation? It is still pretty much a lockdown situation. Um, in ter- terms of anecdotes, um, I, I mean, I, the, the other day I saw that there's a tissue box that has been um, uh, taped to um, the elevator, uh, the, just like right next to the elevator, and it's because they don't want to have people actually touching the uh, buttons. So now you see uh, tissues as well as as well as toothpicks uh, so that you can avoid touching the buttons. Um, also, just today, uh, we found out that that um, restaurants uh, can, no, at least here in Beijing, can no longer have uh, group meals uh, for people. And we were calling the restaurants and they said that from what they understood from local authorities, a group consists of three people. So that's kind of a challenge for restaurants if you can't have more than three people um, in the restaurant, or they also said that another uh, regulation is is to uh, make sure that each group is at least one or two meters from another group. So there are all these kind of real world restrictions that are, are making life very difficult here. All right, Eunice, you and Eunice, thank you very much. Well, the man behind the biggest Ponzi scheme ever now wants out of prison. Bernie Madoff is asking to be released so he can die at home. Scott Cohen, of course, followed every turn in the Madoff scandal. And he joins us now with more and I guess what is a a very sick Bernie Madoff, Scott, who says he wants out of prison. Is there any chance that's going to happen? Probably doubtful, but we'll see. It just happened a month or so ago with Bernie Ebers of WorldCom, who, of course, uh, died this past Sunday at home. 
Bernie Madoff did admit to running that massive Ponzi scheme, and now he says he wants out of prison only about 140 years earlier. One victim I spoke with last night said that Bernie Madoff has chutzpah, and it's hard to argue with that. He first revealed to me in 2014 that he had stage 4 kidney disease and that he was foregoing dialysis rather than prolonging his life. Now he is 81 years old and apparently near the end. According to his new attorney, Brandon Sample, who specializes in getting elderly inmates out of prison, Madoff has end-stage kidney disease and should be allowed to die with the support and comfort from the remaining loved ones that he has. In the motion to Judge Denny Chin, the same judge who sentenced Madoff to 150 years, Sample writes, Madoff has expressed remorse for his crimes. Now over 10 years of incarceration later and after uh, with less than 18 months to live, Madoff humbly asks the court for a modicum of compassion. I last heard from Bernie Madoff in July. That was when he was moved into the prison medical center in Butner, North Carolina to begin his end of life care. He told me then in an email that he is fine. He has since told the Washington Post that he has suffered from his mistakes and he wants to be able to get out and see his grandchildren and explain to them what happened. Guys? Yeah, it's quite the story, uh, Scott, and I'm sure that you've been in contact with many of the victims. And aside from having chutzpah, I'm sure there's a few comments that are not ready for prime time, things you cannot say on live national television from some of these victims hearing that Madoff right. would like to get out of jail. Yeah, and you know, in this, this lengthy court filing, uh, he takes a similar tack and actually cites this case of, of Bernie Ebers. The idea being, and the judge ruling in that case, that letting him out of prison uh, early will not get the victims their money back. It doesn't diminish the uh, severity of the crimes. But this new First Step Act, the criminal justice reform, says that inmates that are, are at this state near death should be allowed to die at home. Now, the Bureau of Prisons has denied him uh, his request for compassionate release. That's why he has now gone to the judge. And one of the reasons they denied the release is that it would diminish the severity of his crimes, and they don't get much more severe than the crimes of Bernie but, Madoff. But, I mean, wasn't the whole point that he was being sentenced for life? That, that It was a life sentence. That was, that was what he was being given at the end. That's right. It was a 150-year sentence. But right. same situation with Bernie Ebers, uh, who was in his 60s at the time, and the judge said that she realized that it was going to be a life sentence. Nonetheless, they let him out anyway. Um, yeah, it, it was it was absolutely designed to be a life sentence, 150 years for a man who was then in his in his early 70s. Uh, and and this is the logical end of it. Do we believe I mean, this goes this goes. Do you trust Bernie Madoff? Do you believe oh, that yeah. he has the health problems that he has stated? Well, I mean, he, he told me, as I said, uh, you know, five, six years ago that he had kidney disease. I don't think he expected at that time to last this long. And there are prison medical records to back it up. I mean, I visited him in prison back in 2013. We talk about this. We did an American Greed podcast a year or so ago about this, and that's still out there if you want to listen to it. It was a, it was a fascinating visit. At the time, he seemed to be in pretty good health and pretty good spirits, uh, but this is, this is, I suppose, the logical end result of what was then stage four kidney disease, and now his attorney says uh, it is end-stage renal failure. Okay. Scott, thank you, sir. It's good to see you. We'll keep our eyes on the story. Billionaire investor Bill Ackman uh, banking a 73% return on his investment in Starbucks. This is according to a new presentation from Pershing. Ackman sold his last share of the coffee giant on January 31st, nearly two years after announcing his 
$900 million stake. The sale coming as Starbucks said it has now closed more than 2,000 locations across China amid the coronavirus outbreak. But uh, this is one of those investments that's uh, clearly worked for him. He had a remarkable little run last year, probably his best in, in years. So Maybe needed. It's good news for him. It's also good news for Starbucks and Kevin Johnson and that new management team uh, that's running that place. Well, it seems like in the last two days, you guys fund this show. This show funds. You guys are like 20% of their New York revenue, I think. There's a store over there. And then I should also mention, and downtown Josh Brown was talking about this on Twitter. Have you tried the new egg bites? They're good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They are good. If you're like on one of those keto diets. Fabulous. They're perfect, right? 200 calories, 20, 20 grams of protein. You're talking about the egg white bites? or The, the little egg the white sous vide. The sous vide bites. Are they all white? Are they all egg white? No. I like the yolks. Is one's a spinach and I don't feta. know the answer, but the it's back. very hard to find healthy things if you're a road warrior out there. I, and I am. Yeah. On, on the road, this is like my new go-to. Well, when you go home to Milwaukee, what do you do? Just go to yeah. cops and just... <laughs> There's not a cops in Milwaukee. It's, it's pick and it's, save. It's Yeah. Cops no, is a northern Wisconsin I, thing. No, no. It's just a Culver's. There's yeah. cops in northern I Milwaukee. Yeah. I know yeah. that. Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, the tweet from Twitter that went viral. CEO Jack Dorsey's plans to move to Africa. The company's chief financial officer tells us what that's all about. There are a lot of people there who should be using Twitter to find out about all the things that are happening in the world. It's also important he goes to continue to attract great people to come work at Twitter. That's next. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. Up and Andrew, cue. Good morning. Welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin, along with Brian Sullivan this morning. Twitter, the social media company, posting a mixed fourth quarter with earnings missing uh, street forecasts, but revenue topping a billion dollars for the first time and beating analyst estimates. Another metric above that consensus monetizable daily active users that came in at 150 million higher than the estimate of 147.5 million that's up 21 percent from a year ago and the fastest ever growth rate for that measure investors seem to like it and now we're going to get to talk more about it first on cnbc with twitter's chief financial officer ned siegel uh good morning to you jim kramer says hello it sounds like you guys might have seen each other on saturday i don't know and i also need to wish a very special happy birthday to your father who's turning 80 ed is turning uh 80 today ned it's good to see you thanks for having me andrew um want to go through some of these numbers and 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 try to understand what's happening here um in terms of questions i think that the big one uh, that's going to be on on the mind of investors this morning even though i will tell you investors are very happy about what they're hearing is what expenses and margins are going to look like over the next year, because you have talked about added costs in terms of some of the things you're going to try to do. Thanks, Andrew. So we're going to grow headcount 20% or more this year, and we're going to grow expenses approximately 20% as well. If you step back and think about why we're doing that, I'd point to that 21% MDAU growth that we delivered for the year. When you add 26 million people to the service, 
when more than half of it is directly tied to product improvements, you build the confidence to continue to execute against your strategy and the execution we've been able to deliver over the last few years. We've got more work to do on the revenue product side as well. That work will continue into 2020. And so these investments will be focused on those two areas in particular. What kind of changes are we going to see in the product itself? I know there's been a lot of talk and internal um, discussion about improving the advertising product itself. Well, first on the consumer side, there's still so much more that we can do to help people find the information they're looking for to make sure that they feel safe being a part of the conversation and trust what they see on Twitter. Right now, we're organizing Twitter more and more around topics as opposed to just around accounts. There are over 1,700 topics in six different languages now where you can follow the topic as opposed to the account. You don't have to find the accounts you want to look for anymore. You can just find a topic that we recommend to you and get all the great tweets that you would want about it. There's so much more we can do to continue to improve relevance on the consumer side. On the revenue product side, there's two big projects that we've been working on for the last year. One will conclude shortly. That's our work to rebuild our core ad server. We've shipped a lot of it already. The rest should be done in the first half of this year. That will allow us to move faster and deliver great ad formats for advertisers. The hey, second so the, piece yep. is, our mobile is our mobile application promotion ad format. Uh, that work ought to be finished over the course of this year and gives us a better path to more direct response advertising over time. Can we talk about the international piece of this? So growth on the international side, only 3% relative to uh, a much bigger piece uh, in the US. How's that gonna look over the next two years? Well, we feel great about the ad revenue we delivered in the United States. We grew ad revenue 20% mm -hmm. in Q4. We're launching new products and services and connecting with what's happening really resonated with advertisers, and we had the right mix of ad formats for them. But when we look to international markets, they tend to be a lot more direct response and mobile application promotion focused. And so I'll give you an example where in APAC, MAP was down 25% in the context of brand, which continued to grow. So underlying advertiser sentiment remains strong, but we have work to do to make sure we're delivering the right ad formats for them. Talking about international markets, you know, at the end of the year, um, your boss, Jack Dorsey, said that he was going to move to Africa, and there was a lot of commotion. Um, what's, what, 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 what's the state of play? Well, first, I'd just remind you the way we operate today, we're a pretty distributed team. Jack spent a lot of this year traveling to all of our offices. He went to over 30 Twitter offices over the course of 2019. A bunch of us came with him on parts of that trip. We're used to running distributed, and so this won't be much change for us. But Jack wants to spend time in Africa so that he can both develop an appreciation for the opportunity there. There are a lot of people there who should be using Twitter to find out about all the things that are happening in the world yeah. and what people are yeah. talking about. Um, but it's, it's also important he goes because it gives us an opportunity to demonstrate how decentralization works and to continue to attract great people to come work at Twitter. Ned, quickly, how do you improve dialogue? I mean, you, you can't improve people. I always say it's not Twitter's fault. It's people. I mean, 99.9% .9 of people are good. The .01 ruins it for everybody. Do you start banning words? I mean, how do you improve dialogue and make it a safer place? Well, we've done so much to improve the health of the conversation on Twitter. We mentioned on the call today that we've reduced bystander reports. So that's when one person mentions a tweet that they see that might be offensive to somebody else by 27%. Right. We've done that through being more proactive, through leading with technology right. to remove spammy and suspicious behavior, to give the author of a right. tweet the ability to hide replies if they might right. be offensive, to make our policies more clear and to enforce them more consistently. We've and made a ton of progress and we obviously have more work to do.
we got to say thank you uh, to you. Uh, appreciate uh, you coming on this morning and uh, waking up early, though I know you had to wake up early anyway to talk to all of the investors and analysts. Uh, thank you so very, very much. Next on Squawk Pod, Mayor Pete Buttigieg is fundraising in Silicon Valley. But success there doesn't necessarily mean a positive reception everywhere else. CNBC's Robert Frank. But all of this is sort of part of this criticism of Buttigieg that he's part of the swamp. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Finally, the Iowa caucus chaos is coming to a close. Four days after the votes were cast, 97% of the precincts are accounted for. There's no winner yet, according to NBC, but the results so far reveal that Mayor Pete Buttigieg has eked out a narrow lead ahead of Bernie Sanders, which sets the scene for next week's New Hampshire primary. So who else is behind Pete Buttigieg? Apparently, according to CNBC's Robert Frank, it's Silicon Valley. Good morning. Good morning, Andrew. Well, Pete Buttigieg has raised over $76 million so far in the primary race, including $24.7 million in the fourth quarter. More than a fifth of that total comes from California, especially Silicon Valley. Now, the top corporate donors to the Buttigieg campaign are Google parent Alphabet. They've given $248,000, followed by Microsoft with $145,000. Amazon has chipped in $98K and Apple, 88,000. Now, among the individuals who have given to Buttigieg or related PACs, you've got Lorene Powell-Jobs, venture capitalist John Doerr, and Y Combinator founder Paul Graham. Now, his bundlers, those are people who have helped him raise more than $25,000. Those include Mark Bodneck. He is the co-founder of Elevation Partners. You've got Google executive Jacob Helberg and the Nest co-founder Matt Rogers. And according to Recode, Netflix CEO Reed Hastings held a fundraiser for Buttigieg in December that was co-hosted by Nicole Shanahan. She is the wife of Google co-founder Sergey Brin. Not to be confused with the famous Wine Cave fundraiser where Elizabeth Warren came out in that debate and said this country should not be decided by billionaires in wine caves. But all of this is sort of part of this criticism of Buttigieg that he's part of the swamp. Right. Is your sense that whatever happened in Iowa just doesn't matter? Or is your sense that what happened in Iowa, not, not when, I mean, the actual results of what happened in Iowa matter for what's going to happen next week? Well, there's some polls out overnight that show that Buttigieg has gotten a pretty good bump in right. New Hampshire. 
So I, I think, you know, if there was any surprise, if there was any clear clarity in this results, is that Biden did less well and Buttigieg did better than many expected. Okay. Robert, stay where you are. Well, you'd be part of this conversation as well for a closer look at the 2020 Democratic field. I want to welcome former FDIC Chairman Sheila Baer. Brief interlude here with some background on Sheila Baer. As Andrew mentioned, she chaired the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation before, during, and after the 2008 financial crisis. She actually wrote a memoir about those tumultuous years and a young adult version entitled Bullies of Wall Street. She's a self-proclaimed Republican, as you'll hear, but she's held senior appointments in four administrations, both Republican and Democrat. Okay, back to Andrew. She wrote an op-ed last month for The Washington Post titled, I am a Republican and I hope the Democrats pick a candidate I can vote for her most recent piece in the Wall Street Journal is titled The Republican Case for Elizabeth Warren, but it isn't a formal endorsement. I'm so curious about all of this, Sheila, and I'm so <laughs> thrilled that you're here this morning. Elizabeth Warren's your candidate? Well, I'd certainly be happy and proud to vote for her. I've known her for many years. As you know, I worked with her during the financial crisis. I think she's a person of integrity. I think she understands markets better than any other candidate, perhaps save uh, Michael Bloomberg. And uh, I think she wants those markets to work for everybody, oh, not the just uh, the concentrated so wealth we have now. The thing I'm so curious about is your initial, your, the, the, the earlier piece that I had read suggested you were, you were desperately looking for a moderate. And I would not put Elizabeth Warren no. in the moderate camp. So the headline uh, that the Post picked was, was good for <laughs> attracting a lot of clicks, but it wasn't my headline. Suggested headline was in defense of government experience. And it really was a piece about how, because we tend to vote negatively, not positively, that tends to favor people with little experience because they don't have much of a record, so you can't criticize them. And you're seeing with this Pete Buttigieg in particular, I think he's really, really unqualified. But, you know, he's a bright, shiny new toy, and uh, people are attracted to them because there's very little to criticize about him because he doesn't have much of a record. So that was really in defense of government experience. I mentioned Elizabeth. I, w I mentioned Senator Joe Biden, too, who I had occasion to work with in the 1980s, uh, back when I worked for Bob Dole. I think they both are examples of people with some experience and proven ability to work in Washington, to effectuate change in Washington, to build those alliances that are so crucial to actually get anything done. The idea that Joe Biden has now come in fourth place uh, in yeah. Iowa, and we don't know whether that's representative of anything, but if it is, is it suggestive of the rest of the Democratic Party and potentially moving in a more progressive lane? Or yeah. does it open up a possibility for Mayor Bloomberg, who you mentioned earlier? Right. So I, I think uh, Senator Warren still remains a very attractive candidate. I think for the progressive part of the party, they want somebody who can bridge to more centrist voters and independent voters. And that's one of the reasons I wrote the piece in the journal about the Republican case for Elizabeth, because I think she has the chance to, to draw crossover voters like me as well. So I think actually it underscores uh, some of her strength. Yes, I think Biden's uh, poor showing. Uh, we'll see what happens in New Hampshire and Nevada. Uh, but I think, it, yeah, absolutely. The, the chaos in Iowa absolutely helps Mike Bloomberg. Uh, he has avoided those early states. Iowa is, uh, unfortunately, kind of marginalizing itself. Would you take, by the way, process. would you take Bloomberg over Elizabeth Warren or Elizabeth Warren over Bloomberg <laughs> if you could get there? Well, I know Elizabeth Warren much better. And as you know, I care very much about financial reform. And I'm not sure. I, look, I think Mike Bloomberg was a, was a very good mayor. I've actually been very impressed with some of his tax proposals. Those are against his interests, against uh, Wall Street investment interests. So I, I've been, you know, that shows some independence. On the other hand, 
Uh, he is close to that industry. His business makes money from that industry. So whether he was independent from the financial sector would be a chief concern of mine. But he's a very good mayor. I love what he's done on gun control. I love what he did with scholarship funding at Johns Hopkins. He's done some really good things as part of his past record. Sheila, you criticized Buttigieg for being part of the moneyed system that has sort of corrupted Washington. But Elizabeth Warren was for fundraising from big donors until she was against it. In other words, as a senator, she raised a lot of money in Hollywood, at Silicon Valley, Martha's Vineyard. And then she moved some of that money from her senatorial campaign into her presidential campaign. Is there a little hypocrisy by Warren to criticize Buttigieg? No, I don't think so, because she's been uh, very pure to her uh, commitment as part of the presidential campaign fundraising. When she first started running for the Senate, you know, she was playing the game like everybody else does. She learned from that. She doesn't want to play that game anymore. She's tried to move beyond it to her credit, and it's made it harder for her to raise money, but she's sticking to her principles. Okay. Sheila Bear, thank you for joining us this morning. Happy um, and if you're a reader out there, go pick up the paper uh, and read her piece. That's the show for today. Teed up for tomorrow, Uber CEO Dara Khosrowshahi is in New York with Andrew Ross Sorkin. And AT&T CEO Randall Stevenson is with Joe Kernan and Becky Quick in Pebble Beach, California. They're at the AT&T Pro-Am, a professional and star-studded annual golf tournament. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, Squawk Pod. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Andrew said it. While you're waiting for tomorrow's big interviews, go subscribe. If you already have, then thank you. Send us a tweet or tell your friends and definitely come back tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.